Well, this morning we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. We are going to take a break from our sermon series that we just started a couple weeks ago to really celebrate some of the same or all the same things that we celebrated with the kids during VBS this week. Uh, If you haven't seen some of the pictures uh, on uh, Facebook of uh, myself and Michael and Pastor Mike, you don't need to. Um, It's fine. But uh, we got to be uh, pirates all week, and uh, Mike got a pie in his face, which I'm sure, sure he loved. But um, so we're gonna we're gonna focus on uh, what we see in, in Ephesians one this morning. It is on page 1241 if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chair in front of you. Before we do that, I do want to. Uh, Acknowledge again, it is Father's Day, and I uh, want to acknowledge that for, for many of you, I know it's very difficult. Maybe because you've lost your father, maybe because you never knew your father, or maybe because even today you have a very difficult and strained relationship with your father, with your dad. And so we want you to know that our hearts go out to you, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would bring you comfort in this day would not be difficult, but actually be a wonderful day of you recognizing the perfect Father that we have in heaven, the one who loves us perfectly every day, all day. At the same time, I want to encourage the dads who are in the middle of dadding and um, the ones who are changing diapers and the ones who are driving people to soccer practice and the ones who are uh, showing up and trying to figure out why the child's in detention and, you know, all these different things that dads go through. And I just want to encourage you to keep fighting the good fight, keep relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The good news is, dads, we don't have to be perfect dads. We can't be perfect dads. And our kids have a perfect father. The good news is that the the most important thing we could do, dads, is to make it abundantly clear to our children that we are relying on the grace of our Father in heaven and the finished work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and the power of our helper, the Holy Spirit. If we get that right, dads, everything else is going to be just fine. And now let's take a look at Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose with which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we uh, this week has been very hard. And it's been a joy to see you work in and through your people uh, to pour out love and compassion and care to those who have been reeling in grief and sorrow from the tragedy. Uh, it's also been a joy to be here as we celebrated your amazing grace with these kids and uh, i pray now lord that our hearts would be fixed on jesus the author and finisher of our faith and that we would celebrate your grace and see that celebrating your grace gets us through anything because of the promises attached to your grace that are for us for free because of the accomplishment of your son Holy Spirit, would you work in us now that we might know the Lord God better and be more equipped to make him known to our neighbors and to the nations. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Along a highway near St. Louis, there's a row of uh, pear trees. And they they line the, the highway right next to where the state prison is. And in the spring, these pear trees blossom. And all that the drivers see as they drive that part of the highway is these beautiful blossoms. Meanwhile, behind, right behind those beautiful blossoming trees is razor wire and then a prison and many, many inmates. And the reality is that, you know, the Bible calls us out on the fact that a lot of times we live like that where we try to give the impression that everything's fine on the outside. Maybe even everything is beautiful. But inside, we are imprisoned by our sin, by our shame, by our guilt. And we carry this deep regret. And so we, we try to make it look like everything's okay, but we're really wrestling inside. That is, unless something, or rather someone, breaks us free from our guilt and our shame. And all week we've been talking about with the kids at VBS that that is what Jesus does. He breaks us free from our guilt and our shame. And he shows us that God truly is a God of grace. And that's why we talked about the proof that God is a God of grace is in Christ. And we're going to talk about those things this morning, the very same things we talked about with the kids, seeing them right out of Scripture, so that we have the proof in God's Word that He is a God of grace and has done uh, life-changing work for us in Christ. What is grace, by the way? If somebody asked you what grace is, I wonder what you would say. Now, biblically speaking, when we're talking about grace, we're talking about, uh, one theologian has said, it's the free bestowal of kindness on one who has no claim to it. 
And when we're talking about God, that's ultimately what, what his grace is. We have no claim to have anything from him but his punishment for our sin. That's why we feel the guilt. That's why we feel shame. But the good news of the gospel is that he shows us grace because of Christ. Uh, John Frame puts it this way. He says, grace is God's sovereign, unmerited favor given to those who deserve his wrath. So it's this powerful thing that if we really want to understand how gracious God is, part of that is understanding how sinful we are. And then seeing that Christ's blood covers that and so that our relationship with God is one of grace. That we are saved by grace through faith from what Christ has done, not because of what we have done. And when we believe that, not only do we receive salvation, but it breaks us free from our guilt and our shame. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And as we look at these things that Paul says in, these le- in this letter, he wrote this letter to people who believed in this place called Ephesus. So this is such a great reminder for us to be celebrating together this morning. And one of the things we talked about with the kids is that God's grace was planned. Planned grace. Look at uh, verse 4 and 5. Paul says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Paul is saying here is that God planned, before he even created the world, he had made a plan for the entire existence of the world. And he also planned to be gracious to a people. And it was part of his plan, and the Bible makes very clear that nothing can disrupt his plan. Nothing can get away, get in the way of what God has planned. And so what Paul is reminding these believers of is... That if their faith is in Christ, and if our faith is in Christ, it's because God planned for that to happen. Which is very reassuring, because a lot of times I think we wrestle with our guilt and our shame because we think that our sin is messing up our relationship with God and somehow He doesn't love us anymore. But the beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't love us because we've done something right or not done something wrong. He loves us, He's gracious to us because He planned to be so. Before he created the world, before you even existed or did anything right or wrong, God had planned to be gracious to you and to me, to all who believe. And he also, his grace is resurrecting grace. We talked about that too. If you want to flip over to Ephesians 2, we looked at Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, which Paul says this, but God being rich in mercy, actually to really get this back up to verse 3. Because there he's talking about how sinful we are and how much we deserve the wrath of God. Verse 3, he talks about how we were among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's fully acknowledging, as every Christian should acknowledge, that we are sinners. We have broken God's law. We have not done everything right. Not even close. But then there's verse 4. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. How wonderful is that? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what he's talking about is this beautiful truth that not only did God plan from before the time he even created the world, did he plan to be gracious to a people, but he also planned that he would resurrect us spiritually. See, we're born spiritually dead. 
We're born with original sin. We're born without the ability to see that God is glorious and that God is gracious. And that's why we hide from him. That's why we run from him. And we would run from him forever if it weren't for the fact that he, out of the great love with which he loved us, makes us alive together with Christ. The Holy Spirit breaks in and opens our heart, opens our eyes so that we can see that God is Glorious. So even the process by which we are able to see that God is gracious is of his grace. His grace is planned grace. His grace is resurrecting grace. And it's also outrageous grace. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that. Paul's saying that he, he, God lavished his grace upon us in Christ. And he's saying that we have this forgiveness. See, the, that word redemption is a Greek word that would commonly be used to refer to a payment that would be made in order that a slave or a captive would be set free. So the imagery when he uses that word is that we are enslaved to something. And we are. We're enslaved to our sin. We're enslaved, enslaved to the penalty of our sin, to the power of sin. But what Paul is saying is that in Christ, we have redemption. We have that payment, which is through his blood. And that's the cross. And that payment is what breaks the power of sin in our life, sets us free from sin's penalty. We have that payment. And here's what's interesting about this. Um, The the writers of the VBS used the, the word outrageous grace. And I think that they were using the word outrageous in the sort of Californian sense, like outrageous, man, like that kind of outrageous. But in the dictionary, the word outrageous means something that's morally shocking. And it's still a good word for God's grace because it does shock us morally when we think about it, if you really think about it. See, the reality is what the, the, the good news of the gospel is not that if you try to be good or you, if you're really sorry for what you did, you'll be forgiven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we can be saved, forgiven of all of our sins, Simply by receiving the finished work of Christ by faith, by grace through faith. And that payment that we have is a payment that pays for our sin, even though we're the sinners. And this is what's so outrageous. How can Jesus, the Son of God, who lived a perfect life, never sinned? How can he pay for my sin? Shouldn't it be that I should pay for my sin? And it can be morally outrageous. It can be morally shocking. Can that really be true? Can Jesus' payment really pay for my sin? And and the answer is yes when we look at the way Paul says this. Notice those two words, uh, the beginning of verse 7. He says, in him. In him we have redemption. In him. And what he's referring to is that when we have faith in Christ, when once we put our faith in Christ, we are united to Christ. We are in union with him. And that union entitles us to everything that we would possibly need. Because when you are united to someone, you own what they own and they own what you own. Think about marriage. Marriage is a union. Let me tell you a story. On June 2nd, 2005, I did not own a purple 1993 Toyota Camry manual transition. Did not own one. I knew a woman who had one, but I did not own one. One day later on June 3rd, 
when Hannah and I stood there and said, I do to one another. Immediately, when we were united in marriage, I own a Camry. (laughs) So much so that if a few days later she got mad at me, I'm just saying if, I'm not saying that happened, but if. And she said, you cannot drive my car. If we went down to court, the judge would say, well, legally, it's his car too. Right? Now you think about that. Legally, when you are married, you own everything in common. So legally, what what Paul is getting at here is the redemption we have. Legally, Christ has chosen to unite himself to sinners, which is just mind-blowing. Christ, who is perfect, the good news is that he chose to unite himself to a sinner in such a way that what's his becomes ours and what's ours becomes his. And all we have to offer is our sin because it's all we've ever done. But in the exchange, he takes our sin, takes it upon himself, went to the cross, paid that debt of our sin, redemption. The payment has been made. And what we get in return is what he owns, which is this Completely transformative and forgiving death for sin and his perfect righteousness. And both of those become ours. So being united to Christ, we have a payment for our sin and we have perfect righteousness as our record. I mean, that is outrageous. But it's true. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that when we have faith in Christ, it means he united himself to us in order that we could have what he has and he could take away from us what we had. And that's what overcomes us. We talked about that too, overcoming grace. And when we believe that, everything changes. Look at verse uh, 13. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. And the thought continues, but what we were talking about with the kids is that when this is how this happens, you, you hear about this, right? You hear about this payment, and this payment can be for you. It is for you if you believe. And that overcomes you. And that the, the news of the gospel, that, the, that this perfect son of God would unite himself to you so that he can take away your sin and give you his righteousness, that is overcoming. It's overcoming grace. It overcomes us and enables us to follow him and to trust him. And then as soon as that happens, what you want to know when you really believe and you really believe that you really have this payment for sin as well as his righteousness and all the promises that are in the scriptures that we'll live in eternal, in, in eternity with God, have eternal life in the new heavens and new earth where nothing ever bad will ever happen again. There will be no shootings. There will be no deaths of young children. There will be nothing that makes us cry or lament because everything will be made new when you know that that's what you're getting for free. You want to know that that grace is guaranteed, and that's why we also talked about forever grace with the kids. Forever. His grace is forever grace. Look at verse 14. Here's the rest of that thought. When we believed in him, he says, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his Glory, And he's he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. If you are a believer, you have the work of the Holy Spirit in you, guaranteeing that you belong to Christ, that God has adopted you as his child and has promised you the new heavens and new earth. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, empowering us to trust God and to do the things that he would have us do out of gratitude for this redemption, this payment for our sin. 
And the reality is when you see that, and you see that this word guarantee is actually, this, it can also translate it as down payment. It's like when you, when you believe in, in Christ and you feel that forgiveness and you feel the, the removal of your sin and you know that God's love is shining down upon you, that's amazing. It's absolutely mind-blowing and life-changing. Changes you forever, but it's actually just the beginning. It's just the down payment. The good news of the gospel is that the best parts of what we have as in relationship with God are yet to come. When we see the face of our Savior in the new heavens and new earth and when everything is made right. And so as much as we cherish and, and celebrate and, and are just completely changed by the grace of God right now, it's just the beginning. I mean, how amazing is that? That is good news. And when you know that's true, then you want to know for sure that it's there. And that's what he does. He graciously assures us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when you know that in the next life, when you know that whatever happens in this life, in the next life, everything is going to be perfect all the time. You'll be in the presence of God without any fear, guilt, shame, none of that. When you know that, for sure. When you believe that deeply, it enables you and empowers you to get through anything. Anything. You may not have heard of Horatio Spafford before. I think some of the kids heard about him this week when Captain Walker de Plank was telling them about him. Spafford was a successful businessman from Chicago. He was a lawyer and a businessman. Very, very successful. He was married to a woman named Anna. They had five children uh, but this man had experienced some very difficult things. In 1871, there was the Chicago Fire, and he lost a, a large part of his business. It was very damaging. But the worst thing in that year was uh, his young son died of pneumonia. But he was a believer. He believed in the grace of God. And so he trusted he and his wife and his family. They trusted God through that difficult time. Things got better. His business recovered from the fire. And in November of 1873, his family was supposed to be going on a vacation over to Europe. They were going to go to England so that he could hear his favorite preacher preach, a man named D.L. Moody. And on the day or two before they were supposed to leave, he got caught up in something at work and just couldn't leave. So he told his wife and four daughters to go on without him and they, he would catch up in a few days. And so his wife and four daughters got on this ocean liner uh, on the East Coast and headed across the Atlantic for England. And four days into the journey, uh, their ocean liner collided with another ship and everything went down. In fact, it only took about 12 minutes until everything was underwater. And Anna, his wife, although she tried as hard as she could, to save those four little girls, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanetta. They were lost, and they all four drowned. Now, Anna, miraculously, was able to cling to a piece of wreckage and was seen by a sailor a few days later, and uh, a sailboat picked her up and took her all the way to England, where she wrote a telegram back to Horatio in Chicago that simply said, Saved alone. What should I do? And so Spafford receives that and he immediately sets out on a journey to get to the coast and then get on uh, an ocean liner so that he can go meet up with his wife. And in his journey across the Atlantic, the captain was aware of what had happened. And so when they were passing over 
the part of the ocean where the ship had gone down. He went and he got Spafford and he told him this is where it happened. And so it was at that moment, another daughter Spafford would have later, tells us that it was at that moment that he grabbed a pen and started writing a hymn. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about this story is something his wife said. His wife, speaking to their pastor once they were back home, said something, and he recorded it in a journal, and this is what she said. God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. And here you have this woman and this man who trust in the Lord and have gone through something unbelievably tragic. Yet they remain steadfast. They remain at peace because they believe in the grace of God. And the hymn that he wrote that day goes like this. When peace like a river attends my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. And you can just see the waves hitting up against the ocean liner he was on as he thought about his daughters. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. When we believe that God's grace was planned, when it, that it's resurrecting, that it's outrageous, it's overcoming and it's forever, it empowers us to get through any storm, any tragedy, because we know that someday we'll understand, someday we'll see how it all prepared us to see God in person, prepared us to live in the presence of God for eternity where everything will be perfect every moment of every day. Listen, if you are not a believer, if you're not a churchgoer or you just don't really have a relationship with God, we, I and we just pray that today would be a day that you would choose to receive the grace of God. Whatever you have done, you have not done something bad enough Okay? There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. So our hope would be that you would receive him today by faith. That you would put your faith in him and begin a relationship of, of grace with God. A relationship of, with God, one of grace. And if you are a believer, I pray that this would be a reminder to hold fast to him and know that one day the king will return and make all things new. And so no matter what happens between now and then, with our faith in him, we can say it as well with our soul. Let's pray. Father, we do acknowledge that tragedy is unbelievably hard to, to go through. And many of us want to cry out and say, it's not well, it's not well with my soul. But we see in your word, Lord, that you're in control and you're good. And would you help us to trust you and know that one day our King, the Lord Jesus, will make all things new, all things right. Help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And help us get to a place where we can say it as well with our soul. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.